Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Thursday, July 23rd, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a deep dive into America's most dangerous water park, how to watch Apple's decisions to predict upcoming COVID-19 hotspots, and the high school girls from Afghanistan who built their own low-cost open-source ventilator. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. If you're from the New Jersey area, you probably have both fond and terrifying memories of a little place called Action Park, or as it was dubbed, Traction Park, Friction Park, Accident Park, and Class Action Park. As someone who grew up in the South, the mythos of Action Park is completely new to me. Although I do feel like some of the disasters that occurred there maybe dissipated down to Texas and got spread like nameless urban legends. Like, if you're not from New Jersey, did you ever hear about people sustaining serious injuries from water slides or drowning in wave pools? More than likely, those stories originated from Action Park, where they weren't just some urban legend spread on the playground, but genuinely, tragically true. Action Park was an amusement and water park in Vernon, New Jersey that opened in 1978, offering infamously unsafe but thrilling rides, many of which set the stage for safer versions we commonly know and love today, but also leaving most visitors with at least minor wounds, inviting countless personal injury lawsuits, and causing the deaths of six parkgoers before it closed in 1997. It was a place run largely by often drunk teenagers with rides designed just for kicks without any thought toward safety or physics. According to the AV Club, quote, the nearby town of Vernon had to buy extra ambulances to deal with the 5 to 10 accidents a day generated by the park's busy season, end quote. Frank DeBerry, former head lifeguard of Action Park, told Sports Illustrated, quote, No doubt there was fun in the chaos, but the chaos caused a lot of problems and a lot of heartache. Things were done off the cuff, ride designs just thrown together. They were building the plane while they were flying it, end quote. The whole concept of Action Park was that you would be an active participant in the fun, not just sitting on some ride and having it move you around. As the tagline went, you control the fun. It all started with the Alpine Slide, which founder Eugene Mulvihill had designed as his first foray into making the ski resort he owned profitable over the summer. Quoting Sports Illustrated, Guests flew 2,700 feet down the Hamburg Mountain, part of the central region of the Appalachians, in a small cart controlled by a steering rod and a brake that usually worked. There was also this factor called gravity, and if your unhelmeted self hurtled down at full speed, you were almost guaranteed to fly off the track. End quote. Action Park eventually also included go-karts, a 70-foot bungee jump, a gladiator challenge, Tarzan swing, wave pool, river ride, and perhaps most notoriously, the Cannonball Loop, an enclosed water slide with a full 360-degree loop-de-loop. 
Here are a few descriptions of some of the chaos that came from these attractions, quoting Sports Illustrated. Employees learned that sticking tennis balls into the governor devices of the Super Go-Karts and the Lola cars allowed them to go much faster than their advertised 20-mile-an-hour limit, as high as 50. In fact, employees were known to take the Lola cars out on Route 94 after hours. The thrill-injury factor of the Aquascoot was perennially underrated. A rider sat on a plastic sled and went hurtling down a 60-foot track slide so fast that he or she skimmed across the pool at the end. In theory, anyway. In practice, if positioned incorrectly, the sled could sink as soon as it hit the water, flinging the rider off headfirst at a good speed. When Jean discovered that the force of hitting the water at the bottom of Surf Hill could tear off bathing suits, he took immediate action by building a grandstand so spectators could watch this teenage burlesque show. And the cannonball loop. Legend has it that a dummy sent down to test the ride early on came shooting out headless. Andy Mulvihill, Gene's son, concedes that probably happened. But the ride was ultimately opened, and it worked like this. After climbing 50 metal-testing feet to reach the top, riders would get hosed down to reduce friction, clamber feet first into the dark shaft, and hope they got up enough momentum to negotiate the full loop and come shooting out at the bottom. Maybe in the direction they entered, maybe not. End quote. The Wave Pool, a 100 by 200 foot basin with one of the nation's first ever mechanical wave machines, turned out to be the most deadly. In part, because lots of New Yorkers who didn't know how to swim would go into it trying to body surf three-foot waves. While rescues are pretty rare for ordinary lifeguards, at Action Park, lifeguards made about 30 rescues a day. The whole story gets even more wild when you learn some of the -the behind-the-scenes dirt, like the way Gene would schmooze investigators and the fake insurance company he set up in the Cayman Islands. Indeed, quoting AV Club, While the park's owners can certainly be faulted for a litany of problems, as with most things in life, New Jersey is partly to blame. Despite numerous injuries and resulting lawsuits, Action Park was only fined by the state once in its history. Every other amusement park in the state was fined for first offenses. Action Park was also the only amusement park in New Jersey that didn't report accidents. The park allowed minors to operate rides, which was illegal, and while three people died in the tidal wave pool in a span of five years, the state classified it as a swimming pool, not a ride, so legally the park was only required to keep the water clean and post lifeguards. So many regulations were unenforced or hand-waved away that many assumed Action Park's owners had what Wikipedia terms some sort of special relationship with the state, end quote. While the park closed in 1997 due to a combination of investigations, lawsuits, financial fraud, and bankruptcy, it was resurrected in 2014 by Gene's son Andy and is now known as Mountain Creek Water Park, though it is a substantially safer version of its progenitor. If you want to dive in at your own risk, there's a documentary called Class Action Park coming to HBO Max in August, and Gene's son Andy wrote a book called Action Park, Fast Times, Wild Rides, and the Untold Story of America's Most Dangerous Amusement Park, which came out a few weeks ago. It also lives on in the 2018 movie from the creators of Jackass, because, of course, what a pairing— The movie's called Action Point, and though it totally bombed, garnering only a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes and grossing just $5 million, it definitely left a mark on writer and star Johnny Knoxville. Quoting Sports Illustrated, 
Nothing speaks more to the park's dangerous quotient than the admission from Knoxville, who has been pepper-sprayed, stun-gunned, shot out of a cannon, socked in the testicles by a sledgehammer, gored in the stomach by a bull, and KO'd by a heavyweight boxer, Butterbean, that in trying to duplicate some of Action Park's perilous amusements, he was more seriously injured than in any of his jackass exploits. He suffered four concussions, knocked down a few teeth, and earned several stitches. End quote. Despite its horrific history, most people maintain fond memories of Action Park. It's the kind of place that could never exist again. A snapshot of a very unique time in our history, and at the very least, a heck of a good story. You may have heard of the Waffle House Index. It began as an informal metric used to determine how bad a storm might be, but now is actually used by FEMA to measure the scale of assistance that might be required after a storm. The long and short of it is that Waffle House has several different menus based on different situations involving power loss or potential damage. FEMA and individuals can assess how dangerous a situation may be or become based on which menu Waffle House is using, or if in a worst-case scenario is completely closed, which, by the way, very rarely happens. Except for now, because the pandemic has caused several hundred Waffle Houses across the U.S. to close. But as far as pandemics go, it looks like there might be another company who can help us assess risk before it occurs. Apple specifically the closing and reclosing of their retail stores. The Wall Street Journal recently tracked store closures from other retailers, global coronavirus case data, and official lockdown measures to determine that Apple's store closures were often a, quote, early indicator of the trajectory of individual cases, other retail closures, and government-mandated lockdowns, end quote. Apple was one of the first major retailers in the U.S. to close its stores on March 14th, when there were just over 1,600 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the nation. Over the next week, countless retailers followed, and the cases rose by over 800%. That same day, March 14th, Apple had closed all of its stores around the world except in China, where Apple had shut all of its mainland locations at the start of February. In the United Kingdom, this March 14th closing made it also one of the first major rate retailers in that nation and preceded the country itself going into lockdown by over a week. Like other retailers, Apple cautiously began reopening stores in May, but in June, they reclosed stores in Texas, California, and Florida. Specifically, on June 26th, they reclosed their store at the Florida Mall in Orlando while other major retailers remained open there. Two weeks later, cases in that county more than doubled. Apple says that when they're deciding whether to close, they look at the following data on a county level. Quote, case numbers, positivity rates, hospital ICU and ventilator usage, asymptomatic testing, and other factors. End quote. So is Apple some sort of harbinger with access to other information that other companies don't have? Or are they just a wealthy enough company with many ways of bringing in income besides their stores, and who therefore have the flexibility to make these kinds of decisions? They're notably one of the main larger companies who kept paying all of their employees, even retail ones, while they didn't have any work to go to or to do. Gene Munster, managing partner at Loop Ventures, who has been studying Apple for 20 years, estimates that Apple's physical stores account for between 8 and 10% of total revenue. And they were able to shift a lot of that online. During the second quarter of 2020, the quarter accounting for the start of lockdown, Apple reported selling $50 billion worth of products. 
In March, Apple paid its retail employees who were not in the stores working $100 million. But their retail business is usually $30 billion annually. So again, Apple is probably able to keep stores shut as long as they need to. In fact, according to the Wall Street Journal, Apple has one of the biggest rainy day funds in the business at about $80 billion, compared to Nike's $8 billion or Best Buy's $4 billion. Quoting the Wall Street Journal, Apple has so much cash on hand that it could run its operations for more than a year without cutting its costs or selling a single iPhone, end quote. So, yeah, they're able to close as much as they deem necessary, which actually means them closing their stores is probably a good signal that things might be going south in a particular county. If we lived in a perfect world where every business and government entity was as well-funded as Apple, empowering them to make these decisions based purely on the health and safety of their employees, customers, and the larger community, without having to balance those concerns with financial ones, everywhere else would probably be closing as early, as long, and as often as Apple stores seem to be doing. So, if your local Apple store closes again, or still hasn't opened, be careful. And if your Waffle House also closed, definitely proceed with caution. Okay, so the stories today have definitely been more interesting than necessarily uplifting. So here is a genuinely good story to end with, although admittedly it is still COVID-19 related. But a team of high school girls from Afghanistan just designed a super low-cost ventilator to help fight the pandemic. Quoting Reuters, the all-female Afghan robotics team, which has won international awards for its robots, started work in March on an open-source, low-cost ventilator as the coronavirus pandemic hit the war-torn nation. It took the team almost four months to finalize the ventilator, which is partly based on an MIT design, and they received guidance from experts at Harvard University. The device is easy to carry, can run on battery power for 10 hours, and costs roughly $700 to produce compared with the $20,000 price of a traditional ventilator. Although the ventilator still has to undergo final testing from health authorities before it can be used, officials welcome it in a country with only 800 ventilators to treat the fast-growing number of coronavirus cases in a health system damaged by decades of war, end quote. Health Ministry spokesman Akmal Samsor said that the design will be shared with WHO and the ventilators themselves will be rolled out in Afghan hospitals once it's approved by health authorities. So once again, young women are kicking butt and saving the day. You love to see it. That is all for today. As always, this show is produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you all have a good rest of your day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.